Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. Is syndication, we, we disclose our fees up front and our returns, our projected returns are net of, of our fees. Okay, that's, that's exactly the opposite of if a stock market is they'll tell you get 8% or whatever, but that that doesn't even include the fees. That's gross. So I would rather go and be able to invest in something where the fees have been taken out and they're going to say, okay, you can still make double digit. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have the honor of having Stephanie Walter on the show. She is the CEO of Airbay Wealth, a capital raiser, a syndicator, and author of her new book, Shattering Money Mist, the How the Wealthy Invest. She recently retired and sold her insurance agency of 16 years by following the key principles that she teaches professionals how to use in her book. She teaches professionals professional people, how to unlearn what most of us have been wired to think about money and re-educating people on attaining lasting wealth. Stephanie, excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure because I love debunking myths in lots of areas of life, whether that's personal development or just many categories of life and definitely inside of wealth. So excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit, just to give us some background, like where did this book come from? Like where where is the genesis of it? I, uh, well, I started raising money for syndicated commercial deals in 2018 was my first. And then, uh, from there on, uh, until 2022 we closed on our last property i'd raised about 30 million dollars and subsequently dealt with a lot of my wealthy investors got to know them pretty well looking over their financial um, documents and things like that and i really saw that they were doing things that were different than i was doing with my money And it took me a little while to kind of figure it out to even have the right questions to ask them. Uh, But Mm. once I once I did, you know, feel like they were doing something differently and figured out what that was, I implemented it myself in my own finances. And as such, I was able to retire uh, a couple, I think, three years later. And, uh, you know, I just find it really interesting that they view money differently and that they do things differently with their money that helps them be ahead of Mm. the game. So I decided, well, I could come up with at least 10, you know, if not more uh, reasons that they myths that they do things differently with their money. And so, yep, that's how the book came to be. That's great. So there's the the book is basically, a summary of these 10 myths and then the subsequent subsequent debunking of them. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, so how do the, the wealthy or the rich, how do they view money? 
Well, I, I always start with mindset because I, I truly believe that that's really what sets them apart. And uh, like I said, I did not have this view of money um, at all. I was very much like everyone else. So uh, the first mindset about money is they we view money in terms of accumulation. So for me, whether that means you're you're investing all your money in your 401k and kind of giving responsibility um, to someone else to, to manage your money and keeping it in a place where you have no access to it for the la- for the next 20, 30 years before you can access it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, th- those are things that a wealthy person would not do. Uh, I was doing this in a different way. I was buying rental properties, um, single family rental properties. And my idea was I would hold them for until the mortgages were paid off and then retire with the cash flow. But I wasn't really concerned with what the money was doing for me right now. Um, and so I'd be cash flowing a couple hundred bucks on each property. And that is not something the wealthy person does. They look at money in terms of utilization. Mm-hmm. They, they're the easiest way to kind of phrase that is they think their money is kind of like an employee for them. It's working for them. It's providing cash flow, mostly cash flow, but sometimes they're they're concerned with accumulation, but they know what their money's doing for them at any time. If they're involved in an investment, they know, you know, what who's running the company, what what their goals are, you know, what the exit strategy is going to be, what they, you know, the cash flow in the meantime or accumulation goals are going to be. And then they also have an idea of the tax strategy when they exit. And so they can start proactively dealing with with those tax issues. So they're they're very involved with their money and they have, you know, goals of what that money's doing for them. And it's working for them at any and all times. Gotcha. So really, number one, mindset. Two, they want access to their money and utilize it however they see fit. And with that utilization, they compare where their dollars are going and comparing the utilization for that dollar. And then fourth, what are the tax implications for that dollar? Did I summarize that correctly? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love the, the fact that you brought up utilization. And I think that's something that um, we don't talk enough of. Like we, in the stereotypical W-2 job, you have the 401k program, you put in 10%, maybe your company matches some percentage within that. And then you just sit and it's up to the brokerage, whether it's like Fidelity or, or someone like that to give you the option. Um, but you don't have access to that money and it's not really being utilized to the extent that rich people think about it, in, in my view. And and then there's the tax implications on that money as well. So what what are the, some of the tax implications that the wealthy use or or think about and then how do they restructure their money for that? That's, that's a good question. I use the term for what you just said is they engineer their wealth. 
They figure mm. out what they want their wealth to do for them. And then they go out in the world and they find something that can accomplish what they're wanting to do with their money. And so specifically, this is, I think, what sets the wealthy really apart from everyone else is that they, they have different buckets of money. They have uh, taxable money, um, you know, then they have uh, money that is tax deferred, but in America, everybody has probably close to 90 to 100% of their money in tax deferred instruments. Now, a person that's wealthy has very little money. This, this is their smallest bucket is the tax deferred usually. They have tax advantaged, which is like real estate, but, um, and things like that. And then they have tax free and tax free. Most people have very, very little bits of their money in the tax-free one. They may not know about it. Number two, they may think they can't qualify because of the Roth limitations on income. To put your money in a Roth IRA, if you make too much money, you can't contribute. But they have alternatives, and this is what they do. They go out and they find something in which will accomplish that for them. And they, they very much participate in cash life insurance. Uh, they do it very differently. It's it's not the same thing as kind of the bank on yourself model that a lot of people hear about, but it's uh, they use life insurance to a, a really warehouse their money. And in another way, they some other wealthy people use a strategy called premium financing insurance. That's something that most people have never, never heard about. And this is such an effective thing uh, for people that have a net worth of at least a million dollars. You can go in, you can have the, for many reasons, people would do this. You can do it for estate planning. You can do it uh, for tax-free income. So a person that has, uh, let's use easy math, $200,000 to put in a life insurance policy over the course of five years, then okay. a bank will put in a million dollars. So the bank essentially finances their insurance policy. We structure for this policy to grow um, and to do what, what, the, what the wealthy person wants it to do. So in this case, say, they want income. So in 13 years, the bank takes all of its money out of, of the policy. You don't have to make any payments to them or anything like that. They pull their money out. And then going forward, that is 100% their asset. And it, depending on the age of the person or whatever, it can provide between, I mean, really, it can be like $100,000, mm. let's just say, for an average person. 40 year old that takes out policy like this. So they get a hundred percent or $100,000 a year for the rest of their lives. This is tax free income. Um, so it's huge. It's a huge amount of money. Um, and the, this is what I'm talking about in, in that, you know, they, they are finding ways in which mm -hmm. to address the taxes, which a lot of people just kind of put their head in the sand. I mean, the 401k was created 30 years ago with the idea that we have low, we had very high taxes at that time. Most people don't know that, but we did. And now um, we have extremely low taxes. How and, do you define high and low taxes? Well, um, in 
Well, since the beginning of time, or since 1913, when we rolled out the uh, income tax, the, mm-hmm. the tax rates were as high as 92% uh, then, and they've been as low as they're about 35, 40% now, which is extremely low. But if you take from the beginning to today and you average it out, the average tax rate is 58.8%. So we know we have a very good idea that taxes are going to go up again. So we're we talking income tax. uh, Yep. Okay. And so we're, we're contributing to our 401k and low tax and yet, and then in the future, it's going to be high tax. So I am not, you know, that large of a proponent of the 401k uh, just because I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised when they come to retire and realize that, they have to pay half or more of their mm-hmm. proceeds that they were thinking to taxes right off the bat. So tax yep. strategy has to be a part of your your planning. Mm-hmm. And it is so, for wealthy yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the income statement of even at the individual level, everyone has a tax expense. That is more than likely the largest bucket of expenses that anyone will pay unless you do strategies that you are a proponent of and i am as well yep the it's the largest eroder of wealth a hundred percent that's a great way to put it that's uh taxes then inflation then uh you know I, i guess there's there's a million things after that how long someone ends up living all of those things erode the the wealth Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and he was a very big proponent of investing in the stock market, index funds, and like that. And we were talking about syndications, and the first thing that popped up in his head was the fees that come with syndications. Um, but it was it was such a hard thing for him to get over paying someone 1% or 2% of 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 the let's say purchase price of for the syndication for the operator to come in and get the property under contracts do all the due diligence like that two percent was such a high number for him that he that they were totally against going into such an investment because the tax rates or the fees from 401k brokerage firms are very small 025 percent point five percent so the difference there in his mind was incredibly huge, but that's when you take 10 steps backward and look out at the bigger picture, the largest of rotor of wealth, like you said, is taxes at like 30 to 60%, 92% to nineteen thirteen. Like you said, we need to fact check that perhaps, but I think it's, I, I think it's close. And then inflation, um, it's just, you have to take a step back and look at the overall, which is exactly what you've done in this book over the conversations that you've had over the last five, 10 years of real estate investing. Yeah. I mean, the, you make a good point, but that, that guy, I think a better point is that, you know, you talking about um, them, uh, the fees that are involved. Um, Many people don't have a clue how many, how much fees are involved. And that guy wasn't even talking about, 
uh, mutual funds, the average mutual fund fee structure is like 3%. Um, 30%? But, uh, 3%. And 3%. I, I talked to in my book about that. They're like, no, no, no. I have one of these low, low cost mutual funds. And I say, go to the back of your prospectus. And there's about 40 pages of legal speak that will tell you about everything. There's probably 40 fees that are listed in there. And those are fees that are that are, that apply here. And they're probably 3%. But and they're hidden. See, the, this is the thing. So what I would mm -hmm. tell you about a syndication, because I've been in many, I participated in a lot, um, is syndication. We we disclose our fees up front and our returns, our projected returns are net of, of our fees. Okay, yeah. that's, that's Same exactly here. the opposite of if a stock market is they'll tell you get 8% or whatever, but that that doesn't even include the fees. That's gross. So yeah. I would rather go and be able to invest in something where the fees have been taken out and they're going to say, okay, you can still make double digit um, returns on this. I'm, I'm going to sign up for that all day long. Yeah, exactly. I love um, that you brought that up because we operate the same way. We upfront say what the fees are, how it's calculated, full transparency, that's always been a key pillar in how I operate. And when other people are not doing that, it kind of drives me crazy, which is <laughs> kind of why, you know, I'm such a, a proponent of what we do and not so, so much of a proponent of, you know, investing in 401ks and index funds. And I mean, for one, I mean, I don't even, I can't keep track of 100 companies in an index fund. You just can't do it. Make a good point in the book is just saying, most people have no idea what their money's invested in. If you go out and you invest in a syndication, you learn about the, the people running the deal, probably three or four people. You learn about their backgrounds. You can run background checks. You can see what they've done in the past. They're going to tell you what their business plan is, how long they plan to hold your money, and how they plan to exit. Okay, you, you tell me one uh, stock or mutual fund that you know a company and you know all that information on them because you don't know you don't know no <laughs> there's there's no way um and even with startup companies um that are maybe it's a ag tech or fintech or something like that i have a buddy in in holland who's trying to start at the seaweed company and like when i when we talk about the business plan um there's it's not very cohesive and structured, it seems like, with a lot of these startup companies. You know, they go through their different funding rounds, um, but the problem is they're not really based in a hard asset, and it's not a proven model. What we do is proven. Yep, yep. That's why I find, like, syndications... In fact, I'll tell your audience to go to Tiger21. It's, it's nothing I'm affiliated with, but it's a great... Uh, resource uh, for people. It's a it's a group in which the people that join have to have a net worth of 10 million or more. And they kind of go into this group and, and strategize how to invest their money and stuff like that. A as a return to everyone else, they report their investments on a quarterly basis. The last report just came out, I think, a few weeks ago. And this is very, very interesting to see how the wealthy 
how they diversify their money, which is truly diversified. They, I think uh, it's about 30% real estate. They've got about 25, maybe 27% in private equities. They've got 20% in public equities, okay? Uh, the average American has 100% of their money in, in public equities. And uh, this is a, another thing in which I'll talk about and is that people that are wealthy are, don't, are very risk adverse. They don't want to lose any of their money. So people think these, the reason they got wealthy is because they invested in very risky things. In fact, that's, mm -hmm. that's the furthest from the truth. They don't want to lose money, period. And yes. they don't lose money largely in, in, uh, in investing in companies, which is, directly in companies, which is private equity, and investing in real estate, which is mostly syndications um, for, for those reasons. Um, the, the public equities are the ones that go up and down. Who knows why? I, I, I still mm -hmm. don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. It, there are so many headlines. Like I cannot keep track of it. And I think the people that say they can are just liars. Yes. Um, straight up. And... So I, I love that you bring this up because when people think about diversification, usually the first thing that comes to mind, at least for me, t five, 10 years ago, was being diversified in the stock market across a bunch of different companies in the public equity market. But like we talked about a little bit ago, taking 10 steps backwards and looking at the whole picture and the whole, let's call it menu of investment options that are available to an average or anyone really there's real estate there's other private equity and then there's public equity so like you said 35 percent is the allocation that the wealthy invest in real estate and that's more or less how my portfolio is structured as well um and that's that's a really interesting website that you mentioned tiger 21 i have no yeah. idea that that exists. I mean, what's the, what's the value prop there? Like, why did they start that website? Well, they started because the wealthy people, um, a lot of them sell businesses and they, they're just not really good. They're not thinking about really investments. So, so they, you know, have a group of people that network. It's about, I don't know, 20 or 30 people per group. And then they can come in there and they talk about their investments and kind of just strategize with people, which is honestly something I wish that more people would be interested in doing in, you know, some, being a middle class person and sitting down with other middle class people and saying, hey, this is what I'm investing in. What, what do you guys think about that? What, what do you think I could do better? And that's exactly what they're doing in this group. And so, um, you know, and they're That's learning awesome. and they're growing and the wealthy people, you know, they, they want to learn. I have a, one of my favorite um, investors is he is, he's, gosh, I, I've never asked him directly how old he is, but I know he's in his seventies, well into his seventies. He's always interested in growing and learning. You know, we talk about, I don't know, maybe once, once a month and just like, what are you looking at, Alan? What do you see out there? What, what, what's kind of, 
what do you think would be a good place to invest in? And he's more than happy to talk about it. But there's so much that you can learn from wealthy people. But also, I think just having that approach to talk to people, be honest about your, you know, where you're investing and what other ideas are out there, because having everything in the 401k is in investing in that is a scary proposition. And I'll give you this statistic, which is interesting. They say everybody should have a million dollars to to retire. I think they're now saying everybody needs like 1.2 million. But sadly, nobody's even close. If you look at the average of 401ks for all these different age groups, it's it's very sad. But okay, say we get to a hundred a million, okay? They mm-hmm. say to to live for the rest of your life on that money, you should be able to take two point five percent. A lot of people were told, I, even a, years and years ago, was ten percent you could take out. Some people still believe that it's absolutely not true. You can take two point five percent, which is twenty five thousand dollars a year, and then that money is taxed on top of that. And so that's mm-hmm. not what people envision for their retirement. <laughs> That's really interesting. So even when you put your money in these 401, these pre-tax 401k plans, a million dollars when you're 60 or what, whatever the age is now, 65, 69, maybe I think. So you can, they're only allowing you to take two and a half percent out well, on an you, annual you basis. Take whatever you want to, but to be able to live on it for the rest of your life, um, pe- the financial powers that be are saying you need to take out 2.5% so that okay. it, you can live with it the rest of your life. And that is, first of all, that's a think of scarcity versus abundance mindset. Yes. What mindset does that put you in for the rest of your life? Scarcity. You're going to be scared out of your mind every time you... The stock market goes down when you've retired. You're going to freak out. I, I just, you know, I go. I have gone into this, you know, doing this advising because I don't want, I, when I was an insurance agent, I was talking to a client today. I saw people retired on Social Security stressing out because of inflation and things like mm-hmm. that. And I just, I don't want anyone to have to go through that. And you know, I, there are so many choices and being a better consumer of these investments. These alternative investments are amazing. This is one of the best times to to be living because you've got the Internet and you've got uh, access to all these because a lot of these um, prior to t- 2012, these these were not easily accessible investments. Uh, most of them you had to basically have a prior relationship with your with your people before a relationship. Mm-hmm. So these were relegated to country clubs and where all the wealthy people would hang out. And these were wealthy people investments. It's not the case anymore. I love that you brought that up because that is a fact. In 2012, they passed, what was the, the bill? Jobs now Act. It was the Jobs Act, exactly, mm-hmm. that essentially well they they created this read these exemptions right these 506b and 506c exemptions whereby the an accredited investor if they're married 300,000 a year or if they're single 200,000 a year in income or their net worth excluding their primary residence is a million dollars 
that is a definition of an accredited investor in this uh, in the Jobs Act. And when you you are an accredited investor, you can invest in syndications that are what's called 506B offerings. And this is just a bunch of SEC language, um, but it is what people like you and I file with the SEC, um, our offerings, um, because they are private investments and we use these exemptions rather than having to go to the public market and go through that entire rigorous process that just slows the capital flow. And so they wrote these exemptions in, in 2012 to allow more people to get access to these investments because they know that they're great wealth creators. And like you said earlier, real estate and real estate syndications specifically are proven and they consistently provide returns. And we, when we say consistently, it means not, it doesn't erode your capital. And the wealthy understand that to increase your, to get the hockey stick of wealth that we all see in the graphs. And a lot of people try and communicate that the public markets say is, is happening, but it, where in fact, when public equity investments go down, you can't, that's a loss of capital. And to get exponential growth, you have to maintain your base capital level and then grow on top of it year after year after year. And that is something that I don't think is communicated in the public markets, A, because they just don't want you to know. And and B, I mean, why would you? Because it's it's less money for those who are selling those securities and index funds. So anyway, I had to go on a tangent there because everyone thinks that um, they always, I get questions a lot like, why haven't I heard of this, um, these investments before? And then I, I talk about the 2012 Jobs Act and that's, so it's pretty recent. I mean, that was 11 years ago that it was passed, right? Yep. And prior to that, that, that whole, a thing was cut off to the average American. And so now we can go out and we can uh, talk to strangers about our, uh, you know, offerings. We can put them on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. But prior to that, you, you had to have an existing prior relationship with the person. So it kept these very limited and not available. But like I said, it's a great time to be an investor and, and because you've got access to these to do the due diligence is, you know, people think it's too hard. Uh, it's absolutely not. You, you can contact, you know, someone like myself. Uh, I can walk you through what kind of due diligence you need to do. Uh, you know, we we don't have any, um, you know, availability right now with with anything we're doing. But I'm more than happy to talk someone through what areas of due diligence they should look at before they decide on a syndication. Um, because it's it's an incredible way to dip your toe in and and learn that this is actually a great way to build wealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a hurdle that a lot of people can can get past. Um, they just have to have that growth mindset, like you were talking about, and understand that there's there's a lot more options out there than there was just ten years ago. So. Um, yeah, we'll definitely like throw your information in the show notes as well. So if people are interested, 
they can get get a hold of you and yeah, get some get some insights. Um, Financial planners are not, I mean, not to speak badly of them, but they are not going to point these alternative investments out because they don't get a cut of the commission. They, they're they losing some of their investable assets under management. So in a way, you have to, you know, position yourself as you, you've got to take some responsibility and start looking at, at things outside, but also learn what's motivating these other, these financial people that are giving you advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another reason why I appreciate real estate syndications because well, I'm not sure I can't speak for you, but for ours, we set ours up. So the operators of the general partners are incentivized to perform to execute the business plan as best we can. And then we get compensated for that at the end above the preferred return that we give investors. Whereas that structure, the incentivized after the business plan is does not exist with public equity investments that are being pushed by CFPs. Yeah. Yep. They get their 1% or whatever percent that ends up being regardless of how how they perform, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Um, but Stephanie, what is your unique approach with Arabe Wealth? Um, I, I basically, uh, you know, I try to talk to people, educate people about alternative investments and kind of look at their uh, approach to retirement and, and just kind of open their eyes to some different ways in which you can diversify truly out of the market and and get a lifestyle that you're wanting in your retirement. And that's really my passion right now. Um, the the syndications I've been a part of I, I give me a, a good unique position to help people look for their own uh, syndications and and do the good due diligence if that's what they're wanting to do. And um, yeah, so I call myself a wealth strategist. So that's what I really focus on. Mm -hmm. I love that. And like you mentioned before, the wealthy essentially engineer their buckets of money in let's Mm -hmm. say four or five buckets. And really you are just helping spread that knowledge to other people. So it's an option for them if they so choose to go down that path. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it's once people's eyes get open, you, um, you know, and that mindset starts to change, it's very empowering because, you know, it's, it's much more empowering to be in charge of your own money rather than to leave your money up to the nameless, faceless banks and financial institutions and hope for the best. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. Stephanie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Before we um, close out, can you remind me again, what the policy name, the insurance policy that we talked about, whereby you can leverage the bank's um, assets? It's called premium, premium financing insurance. And you're not alone. I, I, was in the insurance business 16 years. I'd never heard of it. 
you have to go to a well, a specific wealth strategist that has those relationships with the banks in order to get something like this. But it, it's well worth well worth the time, especially the young people. I just I wrote uh, recently wrote a lady that was 48, super healthy, looked like a super healthy lady. And she got declined because some of her labs came back that, you know, she didn't realize that she had like super high cholesterol and and some triglycerides. So she she can't purchase it. So the young people, if they can purchase this, is a great tool for uh, building wealth as well. Mm. Interesting. And I think you mentioned that it's for those individuals or companies couples that are net worth over 1 million. Is that yep, correct? And, and, I, and does that include your residency or not? No, an accredited investor is, is the ones that can purchase that particular type of policy. But there are other things if you are not quite at that stage that you can do to um, get those same benefits. They just can't be turbocharged with a bank loan. But they're, they're certainly... It doesn't mean they can't do anything. Okay. That's great. Um, I always love talking about these types of new strategies that the wealthy you're doing because it's, it's good information. It's good to know there's lots of options for people and they need to do the right thing for their portfolio and their future. And from my perspective, you got to get it out of the hands of those who control your money and do a little bit of education and place your money, engineer your your money so it's working for you as if it were an employee. Yes, thousand percent. <laughs> well, Stephanie, it's been a pleasure having you on. Is there one thing that you'd like to leave us with today? I, I mean, I just believe really strongly in, in taking responsibility for your money. Definitely go to my website, and it, which is www.airbaywealth.com, and you can download this book for free. I haven't put it on Amazon yet, but um, it is free on my website. And it really just goes... It's a simple read. It's 140 pages, I think, that just really goes through all these different things I brought up. And if you read this book, you'll be ahead of, of the game, probably ahead of about 95% of the people out there. Um, and then just my last thing would be to take action. A lot of people just read and, and theorize, but they don't take action. And action will, you know, is the difference between getting there and not getting there. That, yeah, true words have never been said. I am I'm a victim of that as well, going through the institutional education system. You just get so addicted to learning, but then taking action on that learning is where the real magic happens. So thank you for that perspective, Stephanie. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. We will put all of those um, links in the show notes as well for you. And to all the listeners, hope you had a good time today. Hopefully you gained something from Stephanie's um, insights, um, really good stuff today. And we look forward to showing you another podcast next week. Stephanie, thanks so much again. Thank you for having me. Of course. Talk soon. See ya. Thanks.